Thank you for joining us for this Hagley History Hangout. I am Gregory Hargreaves, Program Officer in the Center for the History of Business, Technology and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library. And I am being joined today by Louisa Yarochi, Associate Professor at the University of Washington at Seattle. We're going to be discussing her project called Bin, Bag, and Box, the Architecture of Convenience, for which uh, the professor has received an exploratory grant from the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society. And uh, Professor Yarochi's project is a design history of convenience stores, those ubiquitous retail locations meant to serve the top-up style of shopping, where customers buy little but often. Uh, Louisa suggests that the design of convenience store buildings is intimately tied to the packages and products contained therein. Uh, Louisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Greg. Sure. Uh, well, I, my first question is, how did the American convenience store begin? Well, that's a great question. And uh, one I think I haven't completely answered. Um, but I believe most general histories trace the origins um, back to um, 7-Eleven. So 7-Eleven is still the largest chain in the country. Um, and they trace their origins back to the 1920s, actually, um, just outside Dallas, Texas, where they um, began actually selling ice to uh, customers um, and then began to add um, dairy products, so milk, eggs, things like that, because they obviously had um, a chilled location because they were selling block ice. Um, and so the origins, I haven't completely uh, tied this down, but it's very interesting. They were referred to as cash and carry uh, stores and 7-Eleven's original name was actually um, to called Totem. So T-O-T um, apostrophe E-M. And they actually even used uh, a totem pole uh, in a kind of cultural appropriation <laughs> at the time. <laughs> As a, um, as a sign. Um, and so this, the thing I would caution though, is I think, you know, because very little work has been done on their history, most of the stuff I found is sort of, um, uh, you know, I haven't been able to visit the, I don't think the 7-Eleven uh, resources are open to the public. Uh, so, uh, this is the story told from the perspective of this one sort of large chain, right? That there were, you know, I think many of these stores selling ice, which would make sense that it was Texas because of the, the weather and people wanted ice to preserve their food before mechanical refrigeration. Um, and so the other argument you could make would be that, you know, one would think of the general store the 19th century general store is also another source for the convenience stores, if you go back that far. But the, the technical origins would actually go back to the 50s, 1950s, okay. when one would argue that, you know, the, the name sort of starts to emerge as uh, labeling a kind of small store, as you describe, where you could pick up um, just a range of grocery items, uh, things that you might, as we know today, small household items eventually, um, and eventually things that perhaps were uh, 
a little bit more forbidden in, in terms of things like, you know, cigarettes or even um, uh, lottery tickets and things like that, you know, trying to provide all the services that one would need um, in a small kind of immediately accessible format. Yeah, how, how does one design for convenience? Yeah, that's a, a, a great question because I think if you try to, you know, even define what convenience is, how that word has been invoked a lot in retailing, um, but when, you know, how does this establishment, which basically is selling what you can get in other places, what you can get in a grocery store or in a different format, you know, what does that mean? Um, convenience, I think, is a product of, you know, how that term's been marketed to us, you know, mm. and what the store sought to do is to say, if we make the establishment small enough, the products, uh, in, you know, because scale has a lot to do with it. Mm. I think the automobile has a lot to do with it, too. The idea that you could drive up um, and park immediately next to the facility and basically run in and run out again. So a lot of the early advertising um, actually showed this direct connection between the parking lot and the, the convenience store. Um, so I think scale in terms of, you know, how does one make this happen? Um, one can argue too, as, as you pointed out, that it's also related to the packaging of the items that it eventually became, you know, single use, um, small packages. You can't buy large quantities at a convenience store. You're basically buying something that you want to consume almost right away and that you can check out quickly. You're not buying a lot and that you can check out quickly. So I think that question of, um, you know, in terms of its expression architecturally or in terms of the merchandising of the items, I think convenience almost could be argued was a kind of, kind of construct, right, in terms of um, how the store was advertised. Is it really more, you know, can, convenient, the, the idea that um, you can pick something up it was about speed, it was about accessibility. Um, and essentially, I think, which is, again, becomes interesting in terms of this idea of the, the origins and ice, that you could buy something that you could immediately consume. So something that was cold, um, and as, as I said, especially in warm climates, that you could get something that was chilled is sort of fascinating. So it, the connection of the convenience store to re mechanical refrigeration is actually very interesting as well, too. Sorry, you're breaking up a little bit, Greg. I wasn't able to catch that, if you could. Sorry.
Sorry, could you repeat it? It's it's um. I can barely hear you. Sorry, we might have to hang up and try it again. I apologize. Okay. Can you repeat it? Sorry. The connection between the automobile and the convenience store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I just caught that part. Sorry. Yeah. The um, Right from the beginning, even back to the ice cash and carry stores, it's fascinating because, you know, this would have been pretty early, even in the history of the automobile. The first of these uh, cash and carry stores and the um, often show automobiles parked outside. So there was actually a kind of low portion where um, that was, you know, aligned with the, and I'm not going to know the proper term, but the runner board of the car so that you could pull up and these blocks of ice would have been, you know, heavy and large and basically just shift them off the um, front open porch of the uh, store and slip, slip them onto the onto the side of your car on these kind of runner board things. So it's very interesting how, even though today we think, you know, uh, convenience stores, we see them in urban locations too, they don't necessarily, they've morphed into many different variations that we give many different names. Like, you know, if you think of the bodega in, uh, New, you know, cities like New York, um, but the connection between the automobile, the car, and um, this notion, as you said, of, um, of something being convenient in the sense that you could use you could you could use your car in order to pick things up. So I think there is a very strong and the the idea again probably related to the marketing of the automobile as well that um, it had to do with speed. You know, the idea that you could pick something up quickly, use your car, not have a long distance. You know, if you think of the difference between large parking lots and a mall or a large scale supermarket, because one of the things that I found so interesting was that initially, um, you know, this, the supermarket was also, you know, its origins were roughly running parallel to the convenience store. So what was, what would make you go to a convenience store versus a supermarket? Supermarkets were selling similar kinds of um, notions of trying to distinguish themselves from the corner store or the mom and pop store in terms of saying, you know, it's more convenient, we have parking lots, we have uh, a constant flow, but the the idea again that the scale of the convenience store made it more what you were looking for more immediately accessible and that there was a, a closer relationship a physical relationship between um you and your car and the store in order for you to pick pick up what you needed to consume so there's a, this idea almost of kind of immediate gratification that I think still, um, and you know, again, you know, that a product that you would buy was something that was ready to be uh, consumed.
Sorry, I didn't catch that. Collections at Bankley. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah. I was when I first thought about this project. I thought. I had no idea uh, how I was going to try to trace the history, as I said, because, you know, if you look at the, the, um, the, who was going to collect this kind of material. So I'd had a wonderful experience at the Hagley before I worked on big retail in uh, department stores. And um, I immediately thought of looking to see what was available at the Hagley. Um, and it's also a wonderful, as you know, wonderful place to be and a wonderful place to come uh, to come research. And what I was um, able to find was I learned a little bit about Wawa, which I, I'm sure that you, uh, uh, every, everybody in uh, uh, the area knows about. And it turns out that Wawa also traces its roots back to um, uh, even further back, actually, their origins are interesting because they point out there's actually a connection between dairies and convenience stores as well. So in Canada, uh, convenience stores actually started as milk stores it's selling dairy, again, because of the connection between uh, refrigeration and the food products. So um, I was delighted to find that the Hagley had the corporate records of Wawa. And so I was excited when I proposed coming because I'm an architectural historian to, uh, to be able to look the, where I started with was with the audio visual um, collections. Um, and of course it was amazing because um, I was able to find some great um, photographic um, information just, you know, being able to actually study and look at what stores look like um, back to the 50s and 60s. You know, to someone else, they would just look like a bunch of <laughs> similar uh, boxes, but to me, they were, uh, it was really fascinating. Again, you know, where would you find this kind of information? There is, 7 uh, Eleven was actually, I, I was able to contact them and they were. Try, they tried to be helpful. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can find randomly online, but really to have um, a kind of complete record of the history of a particular chain like Wawa, which wasn't one of the largest ones, but was is great because it was representative of the, um, the way they developed uh, chains actually developed locally, like so, uh, had a sort of geographic scope in terms of the, the range of stores um, where they were located. So I started with the audiovisual collections and then um, moved, you know, was able to find information in terms of pamphlets, looking at the pamphlet connect collections in the library, just checking those types of things out. And then I finally made the trek over to the soda house, which I had never done before because I, I always liked working in the library because it's such a beautiful location. And it was the first time I had, you know, delved into actually looking at corporate records again, which for me anyway, not, you know, really being a business historian, 
initially seemed like, well, this is a lot of, you know, documentation of how the business was run, but I'm looking for something different. But what was amazing is that going through that collection, I was actually able to find um, some really relevant and appropriate information. And one of the most interesting things was copies of a magazine that's still in existence, which is called Convenience Store News, which is a, um, you know, put out by the industry. But um, the, the, even though it was corporate records, what was contained was numerous copies of Convenience Store News which had a you know and it really meant sort of going through them in detail but again i don't know where else i would have found you know who has kept this kind of material so that was kind of extremely uh exciting to find that kind of information um and again the soda house was a a, a great place to work too um and Again, I don't know where else, who else would have collected, you know, uh, this kind of uh, information. And even what was remarkable was things like the, um, uh, even in the corporate record, records, finding what kind of things were being sold initially. You know, you could see what was most popular. Again, I didn't, you know, didn't know this before that, Things like the basics, like dairy items, continue to be the most, um, the, the largest sales for the companies, basically. But then things like, um, as I mentioned before, things like cigarettes and things that were, um, you were able to pick up kind of immediately and, um, things that were single use package were um, also constituted a large portion of the sales as well. Yeah, so, you know, I've, it's such a great, to anybody who uh, watches this, who hasn't been to the Hagley, just the, um, the grounds and the, the experience of working there, the opportunity to actually work there is um, really a pleasure. And so you get uh, to be able to walk through the grounds and the idea of moving from the library to the soda house initially was, was oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to use the, a soda house. But, um, and it seemed again, because if I'm correct, most of the corporate records are kept there that in terms of the materials I was looking for, it wasn't going to be as useful, but it really just took looking at through them more closely to find things that ended up being very useful. Sorry, can you say that again? Oh, yeah, that's, that's a, a, a great question. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is the um, again, those copies of uh, convenience store news. And what was interesting with those was they were a sort of awkward format. They were, you know, sort of large um, when people were still printing uh, things in paper, but they were directed towards convenience store owners. Um, and 
that, but at the same time, they were trying to write, constantly writing the history of the convenience store. So what was fascinating was that it wasn't just, you know, again, things that had to do with, you know, this is what's going on in terms of sales or, um, you know, uh, the, here's how things are going from a business perspective. But there was a, uh, a lot, a number of stories that would have documentary historical photographs or talking about the origins of a particular uh, convenience store. So they were much more, you know, if one would think, you know, they're, um, they're not, oh, convenience store news isn't going to be an exciting read, but it actually was because you really got to trace, um, you know, the, this kind of notion of trying, these owners trying to not only convey information that would be useful in terms of running a business, but also to kind of create a community, you know, to, to make connections between um, owners. I think the other thing that I got really excited about at the Hagley was the ability to um, point, you know, to actually try to understand the store um, in terms of the merchandising and marketing of food as well too, how it was a product, not only of, you know, kind of broader changes in retail design or in the business of selling convenience, but also that it had to do with um, developments in terms of packaging. So cellophane, um, which of course is, um, you know, the DuPont uh, collection at the Hagley, uh, there were pamphlets put out by DuPont um, introducing cellophane and also connecting it to this idea of impulse buying. So mm -hmm. how food, how clear packaging was going to make it um, people able to be able to grab and go, food to grab and go. Mm -hmm. So there were marketing materials um, this was uh, back at the library in the pamphlet connection that talked about, yeah, how food should be, could be marketed or selling this new product of actually having, you know, being able to wrap food in clear items so that people could see them and grab them. Um, and so those kinds of materials, again, um, that were related in terms of packaging food with plastic and, you know, food is particularly interesting because in terms of visual merchandising, I, I came to find because I hadn't worked in it before, you know, because it's something that's perishable. And so it be, started to tie back to this idea of um, uh, ice refrigerated products. And so how selling the whole connection between selling ice and food uh, selling with the convenience store. So the idea that you were able to pick up one item, you could see and inspect its quality and be able to kind of walk out. And of course, you know, this has ramifications in terms of our current environmental uh, situation in terms of, you know, um, waste. But if you think about that image versus 
the idea of the old general store with large barrels of food, right, that you would take out and sort of package. Um, it took time, right, for the, the proprietor to wrap and package your food and food was sold in bulk versus being sold as a kind of single consumable item. So again, those kinds of being able to look at those kinds of um, uh, sources in terms of not just the scale of the store, but all the way down to the packaging of the food, I think was a, a unique um, opportunity at the Hagley to, you know, to be able to, that's the bin bag and box idea of the title as, as you pointed out that, um, you know, thinking about the actual way that the product is being sold in terms of how that's going to have an impact on the store itself and the design of the store. So that was a, again, a kind of something that was very unique about the collections at the Hagley that there were these multiple, multiple scales of um, information that reflected this sort of idea of really trying to understand the store from these multiple scales as well. How has the convenience store impacted American retail? Ah, that's a, that's a, a great and a really uh, big question. I think, you know, one can argue, and again, you know, some people might ask when I first started looking at this, you know, because I had looked at department stores of, before and that uh, as a retail type has been, um, much discussed and sort of, I think most people would feel like, you know, has had a big impact on retailing and, you know, consumer behavior and uh, commercial life and the kind of construct of the city. Um, and I think the story of the convenience store, again, um, is, is one that's still being written in order to understand its significance, like uh, in terms of understanding this kind of, again, that it has to do with a kind of larger picture of social behavior, like how we begin to construct this idea that, you know, our, at least before COVID, our lives were so busy that, um, you know, we wanted this sort of immediate gratification. And one could argue that our current situation in terms of online shopping you know, where the being able to immediately um, have our needs fulfilled, you know, to be able to buy something online and then, you know, same day delivery or same day shopping, that that is a direction that, you know, we've headed. Um, and so one could argue that you could see the convenience store as sort of part of that story of um, wanting to get more and more immediate gratification in terms of getting our needs fulfilled. And um, when it comes to uh, what are, it's actually really fascinating, right? You think of our current situation in terms of also the um, becoming more and more separated somehow spatially from the experience, especially when you think of um, normally buying food 
is something that, you know, which I still, you know, is something we all, um, you know, the public market, the idea of being able to inspect your food and being able to smell your food, having a kind of sensory uh, connection to the food you buy. Um, and so the convenience store you can see is part of the, that development, right? That we've moved away, you know, now by, by necessity um, in our current situation that um, of us seeking this immediate gratification and also from becoming more and more distant from that kind of idea of um, um, having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the food we buy and the food we eat. And uh, I think the, again, it becomes uh, quite interesting in terms of thinking, what I found so fascinating about the um, convenience store is that the connection between the packaging of food and the marketing of the food and um, the actual physical design, the large scale design of the spaces. And, you know, we could trade, we could even make, look at the convenience store and see, is there a connection now? If we think about how we're buying food online now to think about how packaging has um, evolved as well to what do, what are we seeing in order to buy, you know, how does food need to be sold to us in order to buy it online? So the, I, yeah, I really found that it's impact, you know, on top of the fact that um, I was just checking actually before talking to you and they, cause I hadn't thought about it, but apparently um, convenience store sales during the COVID have actually increased which um, I know, at least initially when I was first doing this re research, that they were talking a lot about their sales declining. What happened with the addition of um, um, gasoline? Because you can, you know, now you can also argue the convenience stores that are attached to gas stations have become a whole other type. My type, at least initially, was the standalone, you know, convenience store in a parking lot but um, that sales were declining that they, you know, with online shopping, of course, they, you know, they were losing. And the idea that you could get something two hours later, if you needed milk, you didn't have to get in the car and go get it, but you could get it delivered to your door. Um, but what was interesting is that people felt, you know, in this current crisis that you can, that they felt, more comfortable going to a convenience store to pick a few things up again because of that sort of quick experience rather than you know even um, so convenience store sales apparently have actually um, done okay during the crisis and you know even the idea that it would be considered something essential that would continue to be open um, is is a kind of fascinating idea as well. So I don't know, that's a really great question, Greg, you know, as to, I think I'm still working on what the, what the, um, what their impact is, but I think they're, you can see, you know, and they really represented something so different from the supermarket trying to say, we're going to offer you everything, right? We're going to 
try to, um, you know, you, you, uh, variety scale, you know, the supermarket was something different. Um, and why go to a convenience store when you can really buy everything you can get at a convenience store somewhere else. But the idea again was that it almost curated, you know, what you, what your immediate needs uh, would be, which is, yeah, kind of fascinating. And, it, and just from a design perspective, they're very fundamentally different. If one, if the convenience store is meant to get you in and out quickly, the supermarket is often designed to keep you in there as long as possible. That's totally true. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, Louisa, thank you so much for speaking with me today. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm sorry about not being able to hear you there for a little bit. But yeah, no, it was really nice to talk about it. And thank you to, again to the Hagley because um, I encourage anybody who uh, hasn't been, again, to, uh, to go because it's, it's truly an amazing experience. And just... Uh, being there on the grounds and the um, the wonderful people like yourself who work there are so helpful. It, it's a, a wonderful place to go and rich in resources and stories that can be um, studied there. So thank you. Absolutely. And th thank you for joining me today. And for our listeners, if you'd like more information about the Hagley History Hangout Program or the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society and our research grants and fellowships, you can visit our website at hagley.org. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y dot O-R-G. And uh, Louisa, thank you once again. This was really a pleasure. Take care. Stay safe, Greg. Thank you. Bye-bye.